As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you open our hearts and minds to receive what you have to say to us today through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One Saturday morning, Barbara Brown Taylor visited a church where a colleague was the pastor. After looking at the newly renovated fellowship hall, her colleague led her to the sanctuary where she saw something strange on the communion table, a fat white candle sitting in a dish with rusted barbed wire climbing the air around it. What is that? she asked, thinking maybe it had something to do with the church's prison ministry. It's a symbol I came across that really spoke to me, her colleague said, as he reached over and gently touched one of the steel barbs. See, he said, the light has already come into the world, but there is still work to be done. The light has already come into the world, but there is still work to be done. Today is the first Sunday of a new year. To what was perhaps our great relief, we have said goodbye, or maybe even good riddance, to 2020. But you probably know that the season of Christmas lasts for 12 days, from December 25th, Christmas Day, until January 6th, when we celebrate Epiphany, 
the commemoration of the meeting between the Magi from the East and the young Jesus. The Magi find Jesus because of a star in the night sky, a star so unusual and bright that it heralds the birth of a new king of the Jews and serves for the Magi as a guide as they travel to meet him. As is often the case, the church calendar and our secular calendar aren't quite in alignment. For even as we welcome in a new calendar year and do our best to put a difficult year behind us, the season of Christmas continues for a few days more, reminding us the light has come into the world and there is still work to be done. Consider for a moment the events recorded in the Gospels about the beginning of Jesus' life, how he was born in a stable because his parents were far from home and there was no room in the inn, how the shepherds came from the fields to see the newborn king after they were visited by angels, how Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple when he was eight days old and encountered Simeon and Anna, who recognized him as God's chosen one, whom they had been waiting their whole lives to see, how these wise ones from a faraway land came to worship the newborn king because they saw his star in the sky. These events reveal to us a pattern in the way God works, and the pattern is this. God comes to us, and God invites us to join in God's work. The light has come into the world, and there is still work to be done. The journey of the Magi would have taken years. They first stopped in Jerusalem since the holy city of the Jewish people is where they expected to find the newborn king of the Jews. Instead, they encountered a corrupt and murderous Herod who sent them on to Bethlehem. And so their journey continued. When the Magi finally saw that the guiding star had stopped over the place where the child was, the text says they were overwhelmed with joy. I imagine some of that joy was sheer relief that the journey was finished. Probably not unlike the relief many of us are feeling about 2020, relief that this year filled with so much pain and sickness, grief and despair, boredom and loneliness, inequity and helplessness is finally over. But once the Magi arrived at their destination, they quickly discovered their journey wasn't done. They still had the return journey home, and they would need to take a different route to avoid Herod. But there was another journey as well. For this king of the Jews was not what the Magi expected. As they journeyed back to their homeland, can't you imagine them going over and over what they had just experienced? That this new king they had gone to find was not of royal lineage, but a peasant born in a stable. What could it mean 
that this is how God appears in the world. And how extraordinary that they, these strangers from a strange land, had a role to play in this story. Could this mean that this king of the Jews was in fact a king for all people, even for the Magi themselves? Thomas Merton once wrote, The power of the stars is nothing compared to the energy of a person whose will has been freed and who is thus enabled to co-create the cosmos together with God. God's top priority is the creation of a world in which the goods of the earth are equitably distributed, where no one is forgotten or left out, and where no one can rest until everyone has enough to eat. The oppressed have been liberated, and justice and peace are the norm among the nations and religions of the world. Until then, even the joy of transforming union is incomplete. The commitment to the spiritual journey is not a commitment to pure joy, but to taking responsibility for the whole human family, its needs, and destiny. We are not our own. We belong to everyone else. If 2020 taught us anything, it is this. We are not our own. We belong to everyone else. We belong to each other. The light has come into the world, and there is still work to do. Father Gregory Boyle tells the story of a young man named Pedro. As a kid caught in gang life on the streets of LA, Pedro was filled with rage and resentment that he covered up with heavy drinking and an addiction to cocaine. Whenever Father Boyle saw Pedro on the streets, he would offer to take him to rehab, but every time, Pedro would gently decline. But one day, Pedro changed his answer and began his long, hard journey of returning to himself. Thirty days into Pedro's rehab, his younger brother, caught up in similar demons, took his own life. When Father Boyle called Pedro with the news, Pedro was, of course, devastated. But now that he was 30 days sober and thinking with a clear head and feeling with a clear heart, he allowed the pain to settle into his core instead of putting it in some corner to fester. When Father Boyle arrived at the rehab center to take Pedro to the funeral, they didn't speak. Before Boyle could figure out what to say, the silence was punctuated by Pedro's intense retelling of a dream he'd had the night before. In the dream, Pedro and Father Boyle are in this large, empty room alone. There are no lights, no illuminated exit signs, no light creeping in from under a door, no windows. It is complete and total darkness. Despite the darkness in his dream, Pedro knows that Father Boyle is there in the room with him. Suddenly, in the dark silence, 
Boyle retrieves a flashlight from his pocket and turns it on. Slowly, deliberately, he shines the flashlight around the room until its narrow beam illuminates a light switch on the wall. No words are spoken, no explanation offered, no promise of a better tomorrow. Just a beam of light revealing a switch on the wall. Pedro stands up, realizing he is the one who has to turn on the light. Slowly, he makes his way to the switch, takes a deep breath, and flips it on. The room is flooded with light. At this point, as he retells the dream, Pedro is sobbing. With a voice of astonishing discovery, he says, And the light is better than the darkness as if he did not know this before. Father Boyle concludes, possessing flashlights and occasionally knowing where to aim them has to be enough for us. We all find ourselves in this dark windowless room, fumbling for grace and flashlights. You aim the light this time and I'll do it the next. God comes to us and invites us to join in God's work, the work of illuminating the darkness, the work of following Jesus, the light of the world, the work of aiming this light so that we can all see more clearly. The light has come into the world and there is still work to be done. And God has invited us, even us, to join in. Amen.